At some point in their pregnancy, many people will look for safe pain management strategies because, well, growing a human can get uncomfortable, and we know that fever in pregnancy can lead to its own complications. More than 50% of pregnant women in the United States have reported using acetaminophen, sold under brand names like Tylenol and Paracetamol, making it the most common over-the-counter pain medication. In this episode, I want to break down some of the concerns that are creeping up around acetaminophen. My intention with this episode isn't to make you afraid or worried about what you might have done in the past, but as with so much of what I share, you can't make informed decisions going forward without being informed. So I'm going to break down what the research is showing and what the recommendations are from a consensus statement made by over 90 researchers, doctors, and scientists, and how you can move forward. Welcome to the Missing Pillar of Health podcast, the show that tackles the often misunderstood and underestimated topics related to toxins and their impact on our health and well-being. I'm your host, environmental engineer, mom of two, and founder of Green at Home, Emma Roman. My mission is to help you reduce toxins in your life without fear, judgment, or shame, so you can be more informed and empowered to take action on issues that matter to your health. The research is clear that toxic chemicals found in the products we use, food we eat, water we drink, and air we breathe are contributing to the rise of chronic illness, allergies, infertility, autoimmune disease, and more. The good news is you can reduce your exposure without having to drastically change your lifestyle, and I'm here to show you how. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. I believe addressing toxins is a critical step towards creating healthier and happier families, communities, and ultimately a better planet. And that starts right here, right now. Let's dive into today's show. All right, so what is acetaminophen and what is the data saying about its use in pregnancy? Well, it's the active ingredient in more than 600 medications used to relieve mild to moderate pain and reduce fever. Unlike ibuprofen, it has long been considered safe for use during pregnancy when used as directed. Now for clarity, ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory drug, whereas acetaminophen does not reduce inflammation. In 2020, the FDA issued a drug safety communication that pregnant people should avoid using NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs after 20 weeks of pregnancy, and this includes ibuprofen. This was based on a data review that found an increased risk of kidney problems in the fetus and low amniotic fluid levels. So the most commonly recommended alternative is acetaminophen. It's most often used for the treatment of headache, muscle pain, backache, and sometimes infection. And studies have suggested that it's regularly used where it might not even be effective, including conditions like chronic pain, back and knee pain, and headache. So it's so often used, even if it's not effective, but is there a problem with it? This episode was spurred by a recent consensus statement, as I mentioned, that was signed by 91 doctors and researchers that is encouraging more research be done to evaluate the risks associated with acetaminophen's use, particularly for pregnant people. The scientists are concerned about mounting research that suggests prenatal exposure to acetaminophen could increase the risks of some neurodevelopmental reproductive disorders. 
They've reviewed epidemiological and animal studies from 1995 to 2020. And they did this because the FDA has yet to review acetaminophen's potential effects on fetal reproductive systems. So here's what some of the studies have found. A 2014 Danish birth cohort study followed mother-child pairs for six years and found that maternal acetaminophen use during pregnancy was associated with a higher risk for ADHD-like behaviors, particularly when used in more than one trimester. Various animal and human studies have suggested that it is a hormone disruptor and may be linked with neurodevelopmental disorders. Now, before I share more, I want to say that there is zero blame or shame if you use these drugs and or have a child with a neuroatypical diagnosis. These issues are so complex and multifaceted, and many children with these diagnoses are thriving, so please don't take this as a criticism of you or your child. I'm simply sharing the research so that you and others can use it to make more informed decisions going forward. Okay, so the consensus statement references a 2020 birth cohort study that found the babies with the highest levels of acetaminophen in their umbilical cords were twice as likely to develop ADHD and up to three times more likely to develop autism. Acetaminophen has also been linked to language development delays in girls in particular. Studies have found an increased risk of undescended testicles and reduced anogenital distance, which are risk factors for reproductive disorders later on in life. Now, if you want to learn more about this and some of the other contributing factors, particularly phthalates, I encourage you to listen to my interview with Dr. Shauna Swan. She happens to be one of the authors of this consensus statement on acetaminophen. She's also the author of the book Countdown, which was the topic of episode 35. Prenatal acetaminophen exposure has also been linked with earlier puberty in girls, speaking of hormone disruptors. Now, it's important to note that based on the collection of studies, the timing and length of use of acetaminophen were critical factors. The consensus statement acknowledges that there are some serious gaps in the research, but that based on the findings, precautionary action should be taken now to reduce unnecessary use of acetaminophen during pregnancy. They also acknowledge that there are some circumstances where the benefits outweigh the risk. We know that high fever during pregnancy can result in neurological effects in children, and persistent pain can cause issues like anxiety and depression and high blood pressure in pregnant people. One of the authors said that a lack of alternative medications has partly made regulators concerned that by issuing stronger warnings, it could discourage women from taking medication when it is really needed. At a press briefing, he said, I think what we believe is that it's important to empower women or pregnant people to make their own decisions together with their clinicians or pharmacist. The ultimate recommendation from the consensus statement is that pregnant people should be cautioned at the beginning of pregnancy to forgo acetaminophen unless it's medically necessary, and when necessary, the lowest effective dose for the shortest amount of time should be considered. They acknowledge that additional work is required and are calling for epidemiological studies to better understand the risk. As these take a substantial amount of time and investment, 
the authors believe that it's prudent for us to take precautionary action now. Now, as a bit of an aside, I find it interesting that we're told not to take certain herbs and medications because there's not enough data showing they're safe during pregnancy. But with Tylenol, it's more like there isn't enough to show it's harmful. Now, I'm not saying one side is right or wrong or that you should start taking herbs that aren't recommended or stop taking all pharmaceuticals. That's not it at all. It's merely an observation and I think something that we should consider when asking questions of our doctors and regulators. If you are looking for alternatives, I'll link an article by Dr. Aviva Ram in the show notes as she walks through some other options. I am not a medical professional, so I do not believe that it is in my jurisdiction to be giving you alternative suggestions. Now, if you've been taking Tylenol during pregnancy, please do not freak out. The studies are evolving, and while the increased risks from some of the studies I outlined are quite substantial, the chances are still quite low for an individual pregnant person that it will cause lasting issues. But collectively, it's something that we should start paying more attention to and just use this data to, again, make more informed decisions for us and our children. So to summarize, some pain or fever may require medication and acetaminophen still appears to be the safest option for pregnant people. That being said, based on the research, it would be prudent to reduce its use where possible. Before I wrap up, I want to make an observation about what I've seen in some mom groups. Now, this is not advice or medical recommendations. However, when you're dealing with fever in children, so a lot of this episode was aimed at those of you who are trying to conceive or maybe already pregnant, but hopefully in the future you will have a baby. And a lot of the recommendations that I see at the first sign of any level of fever is to give a fever reducing medication. Now I want you to remember that a fever is our body's correct response to an infection and it is how it's one of the methods that our bodies can fight off infection. So please follow medical advice as to what level of a fever is dangerous for your child, but recognize that low-grade fevers are actually helpful. And so by giving fever-reducing medication too quickly or when a fever is low-grade and not otherwise harmful, can make it harder for the body to fight what it is trying to fight. So I just want to leave you with that maybe reminder of what's going on with a fever. Again, some level of fever, and this is going to be different depending on your child's health profile, but some levels of fevers are dangerous. So I'm not saying never to medicate them. However, I think we need to be a bit more judicious in how we are dishing out pain medication, particularly for or not pain medication, fever-reducing medication, particularly for children. I hope you found this episode helpful. Again, I know sometimes receiving information like this can be hard because it goes against maybe what you've heard or been told or what you feel comfortable hearing. So please just sit with it and use it as you wish. And I hope that it does help you make more informed decisions. 
Next week, I will be back with an episode on PFAS chemicals in fizzy water beverages. And after that, I've got an interview on mold toxicity and remediation, followed by an episode on menopause. And those last two are interviews you're not going to want to miss. Have a great day. If you are trying to conceive or thinking of starting, or you are newly pregnant, and you know that hormone disrupting chemicals are important and something that you want to focus on reducing in your life to support your baby, well, I have something for you. I created the six-week course Prepping for Pregnancy to take away the overwhelm and confusion and all the research that it takes to figure out what the best actions to take during these critical months in your baby's development are. It's not just about buying random products here and there. I want to help you with a plan that is focused on actions that will give you the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak. If this sounds good to you, I invite you to check out Prepping for Pregnancy at greenathome.ca forward slash prepping for pregnancy.